One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. So in the last episode, we talked about how 80% of chronic inflammatory diseases are related to diet and lifestyle and how asking the conventional medical system to help with fixing those problems is it's not a great idea because the system's not designed to address root causes. It's primarily designed to either alleviate symptoms or uh, say to dominate physiology to create an end result. So here's an example. And, and I hope that by picking specific examples, I, I don't make you think that this doesn't apply to you if you don't struggle with whatever comes next. I'm using examples to just illustrate concepts and principles that are uh, broadly applicable across a wide variety of health issues. So, for example, I'll probably talk about insulin resistance. It's just an easy example to illustrate these concepts. Um, and, and so if you don't have that, that's okay. Just listen for the big idea in the example, not to the specific example itself. All right, so let's look at the problem of insulin resistance, which is the underlying mechanism that allows people to trend from early stages of high blood sugar towards prediabetes or what's commonly called metabolic syndrome, and then ultimately into type 2 diabetes. Now, we know that type 2 diabetes is a diet and lifestyle problem. And that's one of the things that distinguishes it from type 1 diabetes, which in most cases has an autoimmune etiology or cause. But with type 2 diabetes, basically, if you're genetically predisposed to that, because there are genes that can predispose you to it, which is why we tend to see these problems in, in families. But if you're genetically predisposed to this and you adopt a diet and lifestyle that has a negative impact on these specific genes then you end up with this problem of high blood sugar. And the worse it gets, the more we move from a case of, say, simple insulin resistance to full-blown metabolic syndrome or prediabetes, uh, and then with a probability of that going into full-blown type 2 diabetes. Now, there's two things that are important here. First, the genetic predisposition that I mentioned. Usually when someone hears the term or the phrase genetic or genetic predisposition, they say, okay, well, that's genetic. That means that it's permanent, it's inescapable, it's an unchangeable fact of life. But here's what you need to know about genes and genetic predisposition. If you look at your entire genome, your genetic blueprint, only about 7%, the, the numbers vary depending on the studies that you look at or who you're listening to, but it's all around the same, same goalpost. But only about 7% of your genetic blueprint is written in stone, so to speak. Only 7% of your genes are these uh, like dominant traits that once you have them, you have them and that's just the way it is. And, and think of things like your height uh, or even your, your eye color, for example. Now, there are some rare circumstances uh, sometimes associated with diseases where eye color can change in an adult. But for the most part, like once you have green eyes, you've got green eyes. Once you've got blue eyes, you've got blue eyes. And any change from that it usually is, is not a great sign. Uh, 
so 7% of genes are, let, again, let's say written in stone. And this is usually what people think of when they think about genes. But what this means, though, because it's only 7%, that means that the other 93% of your entire genetic makeup is comprised, it's comprised of genes that can change their behavior. We call that genetic expression. So, right, so how a gene behaves. Think of a light switch as either being on or off. Uh, or uh, if it's a, like a rheostat, like an adjustable dimmer switch for a light, you can tune it a little way up and a little way down. Um, but listen, genes are not your destiny. Genes are your possibility. And so again, 93% of your entire genetic makeup is made of genes that can express different states of being. Again, we call it genetic expression. And you guessed it, the main things that can impact how a gene expresses itself are your diet, your lifestyle choices, and how you react to the environment that you live in. From this point forward, I'll probably just use the term detox to refer to that. But I hope I don't confuse anyone. I've got a whole series on detox that we did earlier in the podcast last year. And I harped on the idea that I don't really like the, the word detox. And here I am using it, but I'm using it to capture the larger idea of we live in a toxic world and we have a certain capacity to handle that. And we either handle it well or we don't, right? And that's the impact of the environment that we live. So while we understand that people who are on this insulin resistance spectrum, remember insulin resistance is how someone becomes a pre-diabetic which is then the precursor to type 2 diabetes. So while we understand that people who are on the spectrum and, and they have a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes, they have a genetic predisposition to that, it doesn't mean that becoming a type 2 diabetic is inescapable. Someone might be at the beginning of that process with insulin resistance and stay there their entire lives and never actually become fully pre-diabetic or become a type 2 diabetic. Even if someone does eventually become a type 2 diabetic, the genes that are involved in that are, are the modifiable type. They're part of that 93% of your genetic blueprint that can change its behavior depending on the inputs that you put into your system. And as such, this entire spectrum of insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes is reversible if you work on the root causes. So for people, again, who are genetically predisposed to type 2 diabetes, who eat a high carbohydrate diet, higher than their body can handle. They live a sedentary lifestyle, so they're not, they're not controlling glucose utilization through physical activity and exercise. Therefore, their glucose doesn't get used, and so it hangs around longer. People who are inflamed for whatever reason, people who have a detox problem, right? They have a chemical load with chemicals that, for example, might either drive inflammation or more specifically, impair the insulin receptor mechanism. These people can change their reality. They can change their genetic expression by changing their diet, their lifestyle, and how they interface with their environment. So they could do things like going low carb or keto. They can increase uh, what's called NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. This is actually most of the calories that we burn in the day are not burned spending an hour or two hours in the gym. It's just the accumulation of calories spent or burned with the physical activity. And so if you're sitting all the time, this thing called NEAT, N-E-A-T, is really low. And sometimes you can't offset that with an hour 
or two hours in the gym two or three days a week, right? So, so people with this genetic predisposition can go low carb, they can go keto, they can increase their neat energy output, they can go to the gym, that's probably a good idea too. And they can also find and fix their inflammatory problems. Um, they can they can detox from their environmental influences. And again, I'm using the word detox in that very broad sense of we live in a toxic world and sometimes we can't handle that toxic load. And so this is where the stark contrast with conventional medicine comes in, right? I remember this whole conversation, this whole mini series that I'm doing is about becoming relatively independent of a medical system that is in many ways doing very good things, but in other ways is kind of broken. And one of the ways that it's broken is ignoring root causes. So to the medical mind with this problem of insulin resistance, moving into prediabetes, moving into type two diabetes, the problem is simply, Hey, your blood sugar is high. And so with that mindset, the average medical doctor is going to prescribe one perhaps both of two drugs. And the first one is called metformin. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's been on TV <laughs> commercials. And I, I personally, I think that uh, drug commercials should be banned from advertising. I, I think drug companies should not be advertising. I think we should have doctors that are very well educated in physiology. And drug companies don't need to be spending billions of dollars to tell someone, hey, ask your doctor if this is right for you. I, I, I think that's one of the problems is that we have a drug-seeking culture because it's embedded so deeply in our in our media. But th that's a little bit of a rant, and it's a, a topic maybe for a different day. But let me get back to what the typical medical doctor does for someone with this high blood sugar issue. They go, well, you've got high blood sugar. we got to get your blood sugar down. And so they use this drug called metformin and understand that your blood sugar at any given time is a result essentially of two things. It's the result of glucose that's in your body or blood sugar that you have because of the food that you've eaten, but you're only eating a couple, two, three, maybe four or five times a day if you're, if you're snacking. But while you're eating and increasing your blood sugar that way, your body has a natural way to make its own blood sugar. If you've listened to other podcasts, especially on things like low carb diets and that, that I've spoken about, um, you don't actually have a physiological need for glucose in your diet because, or carbohydrates in your diet because your body can make it. Where do you make it? Predominantly in the liver. And, and so there are two chemical reactions called gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis. So gluconeogenesis is where you take other things, either like fatty acids or amino acids from the protein in your diet, and, you, and your liver can make glucose or blood sugar out of that, even if you don't eat a single carbohydrate. Or because your liver and your muscles store glucose in the form of glycogen, you can activate glycogenolysis where you take glucose that's stored in both liver and muscles and you can break it down and that goes into your bloodstream and increases your blood sugar again without eating carbohydrates. And so even if you had zero carbs, let's say you were a true carnivore and ate nothing but animal products, you're still going to have blood sugar because your liver makes it. And it's got a couple of different mechanisms. So what does metformin do? Well, it impairs the ability of your liver to make glucose through these two different pathways. And so as a result, taking metformin without changing any other inputs into the system, without modifying the diet, without increasing exercise and so on, metformin allows your blood sugar to come down by impairing a normal physiological process. 
And so someone takes metformin because they have high blood sugar, blood sugar comes down, everyone high fives and says, yes, this case is controlled and we consider it a success. But is it really? <laughs> Again, the, the way that I see things is that the high blood sugar is not the problem. And that's where the medical community gets it wrong. The high blood sugar is not the problem per se. I mean, it is a problem because high blood sugar causes other issues, right? It can damage your cells in a process called glycation or glycosylation. This is why uncontrolled diabetics have kidney damage. That's why they go blind. That's why they might have peripheral neuropathy with numbness and tingling and burning sensations in their hands or their feet. So high glucose is a problem, but it's not the problem in the sense that it's not the root cause. No, the high blood sugar is a symptom of a much deeper issue that typically gets ignored. And that is the driving factors of diet, lifestyle, and detox in the sense of the environment that you live in and your ability to handle the toxin load that it, that it brings to you. So in fact, I've had, I've had several clients over the years with type 2 diabetes or with insulin resistance, for example, tell me that their prescribing doctor told them, listen, as long as you take your metformin, you can eat whatever you want. You, in, in fact, I've had people tell me, my, my doctor told me I can eat cookies, cake, and ice cream as long as I take my metformin. And in fact, one of those people is my dad. <laughs> I hate to say it, my dad still takes metformin. He doesn't listen to a word I say. You know, I'm 58 years old. I'm a grandfather of seven, father of five, and my dad still thinks I'm walking around in diapers, which I guess that's just what happens with uh, with families, right? But that's no joke. Like my dad was literally told, you can eat whatever you want, just take your pill. But here's the problem, and, and this is the cost. It's the real cost of ignoring root causes. And in this particular case, remember, I'm just using insulin resistance, blood sugar, and so on as a way to illustrate a problem in approach, perspective, and thought that you need to be aware of so you can make better choices. And it doesn't matter if you have blood sugar issues or not. That's not the point of the story. The point is to illustrate root cause versus chasing symptoms. So again, here's, here's the real problem and the cost of ignoring root causes in this context of these blood sugar problems. Since most people being prescribed metformin continue to eat, to eat a lot of unfavorable carbohydrates. They continue to live a sedentary lifestyle. They continue to ignore the toxin load that they're under. Over time, the metformin stops working because these other inputs into their system become their dominant physiology again. And so what do the docs prescribing metformin do? Either increase the dose or at some point they go, well, this isn't working. We either need to switch to or add insulin. Insulin. Now, <laughs> I can go down a deep rabbit hole on this one, but let me say this for now. This natural, this, this not natural, this mechanism of insulin resistance that leads into type 2 diabetes is not just a problem of high blood sugar, but a deeper and more menacing problem of high insulin. That's the real problem that needs to be fixed. And it's fixed by changing the inputs of diet, lifestyle, and chemical load or toxin load. And this is where faulty genes come into play. But before I go that, let me say this one thing. You can check this out yourself. It's pretty easy to confirm. Insulin, 
the use of insulin is appropriate for a type 1 diabetic where their immune system is destroying their pancreatic beta cells that make insulin, right? So with a type 1 diabetic, which is different than the mechanism of a type 2, type 1 diabetic has autoimmunity. It, the immune system destroys these things called beta cells in the pancreas. These are the cells that make insulin. And so over time, their ability to make insulin disappears. And at a certain point, they can't control their blood sugar. It's over 240, 250, 300, and so on. And that is life endangering. So insulin saves lives in people who can't make insulin. But when you're making insulin, and when you're making too much, which is what happens with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetic, why on earth would you add more if that's part of the problem? Well, you would do that if you don't understand the problem. Or you would do it if that's what's expected by your medical board and your medical association and all of your colleagues because they also don't understand the problem. So for some people, their genes dictate that it takes more insulin, which comes again from the pancreas, to control blood sugar. But as blood sugar goes up, it takes more and more insulin to control that too. And so we have this constant upward spiral of high insulin and high blood sugar. With higher insulin comes more insulin resistance, which is what causes the high blood sugar, and around and around we go. So it's not just the high blood sugar that needs to be controlled, it's also the high insulin. But again, why is the insulin too high? Because someone has chosen a diet and lifestyle and to live their lives in a certain way that it activates or it changes the behavior of genes that control insulin production, their predisposition to insulin resistance. So again, it's the diet and lifestyle choices of the person with high insulin and how that clashes with the genes that predispose them to type 2 diabetes. That's the root cause. So if all you do is take metformin and or insulin, and, and let me say this, because I, I meant to say this a moment ago, and I, I got distracted by my own tirade. And again, you can confirm this, easy to look up. The vast majority of insulin prescriptions that medical doctors are giving out is not for type 1 diabetes, where someone's lost the ability to make it. It's for type 2 diabetes. And that is, I'm telling you completely, physiologically the wrong thing to do. It's, it's actually compounding the problem. You might see a short-term control, but that will come back and bite you and then you know what? High insulin is the problem. So just to reiterate, 80% of all chronic inflammatory disorders come from how our diets, our lifestyle choices, and our environment and our ability to detox and handle that how those things clash with genes that predispose us to things like diabetes or obesity or heart disease, even thyroid conditions. And if you change the inputs of diet, lifestyle, and detox that are affecting the behavior or the expression of 93% of your gene pool whose behavior is modifiable, then you get a different output. You get a different result. No more diabetes, no more obesity, a much lower risk of things like heart disease and better control of your immune system and your inflammatory state. Now, who doesn't want that? Of course, everybody wants it, but are they willing? And, and this is your choice because these are behaviors that you have to opt into, right? You either chase symptom control with drugs or you mistake 
a symptom as the root cause, as in my example of high blood sugar, it's a symptom of, an, of a deeper problem. Or you're going to buckle down and you're going to do the hard work of changing how your genes are expressing in your life to improve not just your longevity, but the quality of your life. And again, this is all about becoming autonomous. It's about autonomous health. And it's not just about adding years to your life, as the saying goes. It's about adding life to your years. It's all in your hands. You just have to make a choice that you're going to do the work that's going to make the difference. All right, I'm going to stop it there. That's a wrap for this episode. We're heading rapidly to the end of January 2023. Again, if this is the first episode that you've ever listened to, you want to know more about me and the work I do, you can just check me out at drnoseworthy.com. That's drnoseworthy.com. Check me out on social media. I'm all over the place. And as always, please remember to rate, follow, comment, like, do all those social media sharing things. And let's see if we can get the word out and have more people taking responsibility for their own health and becoming relatively independent or autonomous. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.